Welcome to Touch Heaven. It's going to be brief. We're going to start, I think, a little bit of a series. I've got so much, I'm not even going to try to cover it. I may just go through some bullet points and then we'll elaborate on them and build on them. Um, and it has to do a lot with what I sent to you um, in the e-blast. And I really, as I was praying, uh, the Lord was just speaking to me uh, this theme of putting the shattered pieces in the jars of clay. And uh, we'll, we'll embellish that and build with that a little more. And even uh, for those who say I'm in a broken way or I'm still struggling out of things, or those of you who say might say, well, I'm, I'm okay right now, I have a feeling that the Holy Spirit's going to expose and dig up some things that helps us all to uh, grab those pieces and to put them back into jars of clay as as treasures in the earthen vessels, as the Word of God says. And for those of you who have joined us online, God bless you. Thank you for being here uh, with us and being online with us. I'm so grateful. Uh, to put this in the perspective of Scripture, uh, I want to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 7 through 16. That's a long reading for a sermon here for me. Um, typically, you know, we go scripture by scripture uh, in our Bible study, which is Tuesday nights, and uh, that's where deep calls to deep, and we've been truck, trucking our way through some very uh, interesting uh, doctrines and issues and continue on to conclude the book of Romans chapter 8. It's probably about six segments itself, just in Romans chapter 8. But in this instance, I want to read this because we want the Word of God to enlighten us, and we want to make this our foundation for this series. Again, putting the shattered pieces into jars of clays. Uh, Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. It was in a time of turmoil. It was his second letter back. Uh, they had uh, been led astray by some wolves that came in from others that tried to usurp Paul's authority. And the church at that time was somewhat fractured and broken uh, because of the different doctrines trying to come in. And Paul himself, this is almost a confession of hurt for his children, the church he had planted, and that in, in many ways uh, was finding fault with him, even as he lived such a difficult life for the Lord constantly in brokenness of God, but yet always saying this. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We're hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. And we are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, According to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, 
knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. But for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For those things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. As I said, we'll be going back to this as a foundation. As I wrote to you, nobody makes it through life without being damaged. Nobody. Nobody goes through life without expectations evaporating. And nobody goes through life unless the Lord has set one free without being bound up in regrets. Nobody. Because as you get a conscience and a spirit in the Lord, and your compassion becomes stronger, and the walls of insecurity and defense bear down and break, we can respond in two ways. One is to put it aside and bury it and not deal with it, and just window dress it a little bit and assume that its effects are gone. Or the other one is we can meet it head on and deal with it in the power of God. And in so doing, believe God for a deliverance from those wounds, from those shattered hurts, broken relationships, abandonment, rejection, betrayal, failures, losses, disease, ill-treated, bullying, persecution, inferiority complexes, death and destruction, or bound up in worry and depression. Without putting your hand up, and I think I would already know the percentage, how many of you might say, I would like to be able to walk and rest in the Lord without worry? Hmm, yeah, a couple bold ones. My hand is up. Because no matter what we do, you see, that enemy of our peace and rest with God constantly tries to find its way back to us. Because we are those that are finding our way, our journey through this world. Basically, we could come to its conclusion as damaged goods, or we can come to its conclusion of those who've been refined in the fire and who enter into our eternal rest as a wondrous mural put together of broken pieces that is beautiful in the face of the Lord. I want you to understand something, and again, we're just going to hit bullet points, but how many of you, and I think I know this answer here and there, can agree with me that you have experienced 
even if you're experiencing now brokenness? How many? Not all of you? Wow, I'm going to grab those ones whose hands aren't going up and I'm going to psychoanalyze you because you are something different. God uses broken people. Is that good news? Hello? God uses broken people. I've often said, give me that person that comes who's not ashamed of their past, who tells me that they've had flaws. And there's something about that when you enter yourself as a person who's willing to confess so many flaws, so many broken pieces. There's something that is genuine and good in the midst of somebody else who confesses with you, I was a mess. I almost didn't make it. But for the grace of God, I wouldn't even be able to speak to you right now. And for some reason, whether they've done it already or they're putting the pieces back together, there's a special grace that goes with that humility that is cloaked in the covering of God that understands and appreciates being desperate for God to make a difference as we lay things aside. I've often said many, many times, give me that person who comes in and tells us that they have had a life prior to Christ that was something that they're ashamed of. <laughs> that person you can believe, that's a real person. That's a genuine person. And that person is someone God can use. Very interesting. God never really was satisfied with religion. No matter who it was. No matter who it was. It's an interesting document out of the Talmud. And it was long time ago established by a rabbi who was interpreting the two episodes of the Ten Commandments. The first episode, Moses was there for 40 days, and the figure of God wrote the Ten Commandments. And he came down the mountain so excited and glowing in the glory of God, there had been a huge transaction, a big transformation. God was establishing a special law for his people. But when he came down, what he found was a people that had become impatient. And within that period of time, supernaturally, mystically, they took the gold and the things that God had given them, some of them, as treasures when they were delivered from their exodus. Now listen to the spiritual significance of them. And they threw them into a different faith, wanting to see something in the moment. And leaders there weren't strong enough to stop them, including Aaron. And out of that fire, amazingly came out a golden calf. It doesn't say they molded one. They said it came out of the fire, a strange fire. 
Too many times we take these treasures that God gives us as we're being delivered and sent to a new place, and we throw them in a strange fire. It's called a fire of flesh. We want to put our fingerprints on it. We want to be those who determine how God is going to change us or somebody else or our environment. We begin to be those who want to impose our newfound wisdom on our environment and others and even ourselves when we don't have enough wisdom ourselves to know the future. Only God does. Beloved, I'm going to tell you point blank, no person can fix you. No person can fix you. Only God can transform someone and change them. So for ourselves, what I ask is pray for me. Many times I've told you I need the prayers and you need the practice. Don't try to change me because I'm in the Italian what they call a stunard. I'm, I will, I'm a capatos. I've got a heavy head. I'll fight you because that's my nature. But if you pray for me, there's one whose head is harder than mine. <laughs> and he will make sure he does what he needs to do to get me in line. And the same for you. You can't change somebody in a relationship. But you can walk with them through the fire. Amazing grace. That's why Paul, writing to the Corinthians, he'd already received this message from the Lord. It was early on in his days, you see, and I, I know supernaturally what he was asking the Lord to give back to him. And I'm not going to share that because I went through the same experience with my mother at a table in the middle of the night. Paul wanted it back because it made it easy to move in the Spirit. But God said no three times to him. My grace is sufficient to you. Because that grace allowed him to minister in grace and not in the supernatural. A lot of people trying to minister in the supernatural today without grace. The supernatural is to prove the grace of God not to move people into the grace of God. Each kind brings forth its own kind. You want somebody to get on fire for God? Then be on fire for God and let God do it. You want somebody to change somebody? Let God change them and be there, believing God to the very last breath. Oh, and by the way, just in case we think we got it so right, Jesus always has a way to check us, doesn't he? He said, don't look for that speck in your brother or sister's eye because what I'm seeing is you've got a pole in your own eye. So we've got to get the tweezers out and deal with our own eyes. How many times? Every time. Every time. Every time. Especially in the world we live in right now. So God, I have good news for you. God loves damaged goods. Jesus told us very clearly how he looked at it. And he was echoing the words of Isaiah, who talked about a yoke. Jesus said, Matthew 11, verse 28, this is for everybody. Come to me, all of you. Now, we could say only those who are weary. I'd like to underline it. 
and put it in its fashion as it ought to be, if it's reinterpreted from the Aramaic into the Hebrew, all of you come to me. All of you come to me. All of you come to me who are weary and you're burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble or lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. As we said, cling to Jesus. You heard the word of the Lord this morning. Cling to me. Come and cling to me. Get yoked with the Lord. Walk through it with him, holding on with everything that you have. I remember once our family took a vacation. This was when we were living all the time here in the cold, and we went to a warm place. And in that place, have you ever seen the boats that pull the parachutes and the parachutes go up in the air and you get a parachute ride? Well, the two girls went. They were old enough. They went on their own. I think they might have even gone together. I think it held two seats at once. I can't remember. Um, Laura Lee said, I'm not going. She didn't want to go. But little Sammy, he was a little peanut. He was about this big. He looked at me, he says, I want to go. I said, son, you won't even fit in a harness. You'll fall out. I want to go, because his sisters went. Well, I'm thinking, I don't want to make a wimp out of this little boy. So the guy said, I could strap him tight on you. So we went, and we went up a high distance. And I remember him, those little hands, clinging on to my arms with all he had while he was looking down. And then I realized the enormity of the situation, that his life was trusted to me to be stable and strong at the moment. Cling to the Lord. Hold on with everything that you have. Take the ride with him. And you'll find out that not only will you rest while you're going through it, but it'll go much faster than trying to do it yourself. If God really loves us, He's not going to bless us putting our fingerprints on our own lives and saying we don't need Him. We'll study in Jeremiah before this series is over, 48 about Moab. Some of the things that God said about Moab, He trusted in His own achievements. He boasted about himself. He forgot the God of Israel. He swelled up in his arrogance and pride, and his language was about me instead of thee. You heard me say, even about this last election, God could not bless the arrogance and pride, and God can't bless arrogance and pride in us. Not if he really loves us because that will only separate us. I have so much to share in this series, and it is going to be a series because I believe it's the message now as we are inviting many in ourselves 
to be those who are warriors and watchmen and worshipers to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. It's no longer about preparing to prepare. Now we need to prepare. And the two have crossed each other over. And that's why God is accelerating the pressure upon the church. Not only in this nation, but in the world. In the world. Lawlessness and chaos isn't linked to a party or a person and not to a government. It's a spirit of the Antichrist that's been loosed on the earth. Very interesting. Everybody's thinking the capital was all a bunch of one type of people, and now they're starting to see that there was some anarchists involved. Some people who are not content unless they try insurrection everywhere. Interesting, Portland. They're reaping what they sowed. They can't stop it. Last night again, attacking things, cursing the new president. Interesting. They went from cursing the old one to the new one. Same spirit. They destroyed a Starbucks. A Starbucks. You see, it wasn't the people that had a good heart and a good conscience with Black Lives Matter, no matter who said what and how they led them, there were good people that went out because they wanted injustice to be dealt with. It was those bad apples that got involved with them that are getting involved in any opportunity they have to call cause lawlessness and chaos. Just like it wasn't those good people who went to Washington to pray for something they believed fervently in. They didn't go to have an insurrection. They got caught up in something by the same bad actors. And they're just moving around, funded by the same bad actors worldwide. Interesting, it took a different name. Maybe it has a different source in Russia the last week. Tens of thousands of people coming out in the streets to protest that they're tired of having the same president for 21 years. Huh. Huh. Lawlessness and chaos. But at the same time, Isaiah is crying out from the throne room where he might just be one of those scripters of the word of God still. He was a writer. Arise and shine, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And even though gross darkness is coming over the whole earth, the glory of God shall sustain you. So we're rising up. And we are a very dangerous army of people. You can't break something that's broken. Ah. Huh? How many of you, I know you women never have, at least most of you, how many of you hit something with your fist and you broke it? Huh? You broke it, you didn't break it. How many of you broke your hand hitting something with your fist? Yeah, that too. You get what's called the, the fighter's break right here. This little thing right here breaks real easy when your hands aren't wrapped right. 
But once it's broken, it's broken. And God takes that broken vessel. And he tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, he takes those pieces and he puts them in clay jars. Treasures within our vessels that he smooths over in the fire. And instead of being a jagged piece that will cut you again, it becomes a beautiful testimony that's like a diamond tried in the gold fire of God. And then the Lord smiles and he says, look what the Lord has done. An army of broken people rising up to prepare the way for the Lord shall not be stopped. And it won't be broken. And the more that the winds and waves of evil beat upon us, the stronger we become because of who He is within us. God loves brokenness and He detests those who think they don't need Him. That's the good news. Now I want to share this with you and this is the last thing I'm going to do today. I've got a lot, but I was amazed. Let me tell you what happened. Yesterday I came back and I was, had already received from the Lord earlier in the week about this message and this series. So I was gathering some stuff, thinking, praying. I was all over the place. And um, I, some reason, somebody called me, something texted me, and I picked up my phone, and all of a sudden on my phone, this article popped up. I, I didn't ask for it. I didn't go for it. I've never received an article from the National Geographic before, ever, ever. So it didn't come on Safari. It didn't come on the Internet. I don't know how it came, but I think I know how it came. And I almost didn't read it except the headline got me. Because it said two atomic bombs dropped on the United States. I said, what? So I began to read the article. I want to read some of it to you. How many of you know that two atomic bombs were dropped on the United States? I didn't. It's fact. 1961, out of a B-52 that crashed in North Carolina, two bombs parachuted out of there, one of them not too well and dropped on the United States. Look at this article. I have some pictures to show you. It's entitled, Remembering the Night the Two Atomic Bombs Fell on North Carolina. Now listen to this. 60 years ago today, it was January 23rd and in the wee morning of the 24th, God, on my phone, 60 years ago today, at the height of the Cold War, a B-52 bomber disintegrated over a small southern town. An eyewitness recalls what happened next. Go back to the first picture, Rob. Bill Rees, turn the lights down just a little bit so you can see. You don't need to see me. You can look at that. Bill Rees remembers that night in January, an unseasonably warm, even for North Carolina, but it got a lot hotter. 
because just before midnight, when the walls of his room began glowing red with a strange light streaming through his window, I was just getting ready for bed, Reed says, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, what in the world? And the 17-year-old ran out to the porch of his family's farm in time to see a flaming B-52 bomber, one wing missing, fire debris, rocketing off in all directions, plunged from the sky and plowed into a field barely a quarter mile away. Everything around here was on fire, said Reeves, who is now 78. I'm going to reach out to him for the program, and another guy too. Standing with me in the middle of that same field, our backs to the modest house where he grew up. The grass was burning. Big Daddy's road over there was melting. My mother was praying. She thought it was the last days, the end of times. Like any self-respecting teenager, Reeves began running straight toward the wreckage until it exploded. And then he beat feet the other way. Within an hour, in the early morning of January 24, a military helicopter was hovering overhead. And above the whomping of the blades, an amplified voice kept repeating the same word, evacuate, evacuate, evacuate. We didn't know why, Reeve recalls. We didn't ask why. We just got the H out of there. What the voice in the chopper knew, but Reeves didn't, was that besides the wreckage of the ill-fated B-52, somewhere out there in the winter darkness lay what the military referred to as broken arrows. The remains of two 3.8 megaton thermonuclear atom bombs. Each contained more firepower than the combined destructive force of every explosion caused by humans from the beginning of time to the end of World War II. If there was such a thing as a friendly neighborhood military base, it would be Seymour Johnson Air Force Base near Sleepy Goldsboro, North Carolina. Largely hidden behind woods, walls, and wetlands, the base has been an unobtrusive jobs and money community since... World War II. But despite a notable increase in air traffic in late 1960, the good people of Goldsboro had no inkling what their local Air Force base had quietly become one of several U.S. Air Force selected for Operation Chrome Dome, a Cold War doomsday program that kept multiple B-52 bombers in the air throughout the Northern Hemisphere 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And each plane carried two atomic bombs. Bombers flying from Johnson Air Force Base in January 1961 would typically make a few training loops just off the course of North Carolina, then head across the Atlantic all the way to the Azores before doubling back. And these gas-guzzling B-52s called buffs by airmen for big, ugly, fat fellow. Well, they didn't say fellow had to be refueled multiple times during each mission. It was following one of these refueling sessions that Captain Walter Tullock and his crew noticed that the plane was rapidly losing fuel. Then they had electrical problems. Tullock resisted an order from air control to return to Goldsboro, preferring to burn off some fuel before coming in for a risky landing. But soon he followed orders and headed back in about 5,000 feet altitude. Approaching from the base and about 15 miles from the base, Tullig made a final turn, and that's when the B-52 began to fall apart. He had it lined up on runway 26, but suddenly the plane started veering to the right. 
toward the hamlet called Pharaoh. The Goldsboro broke an arrow. Then it started rolling over and tearing apart. It found out that a few weeks before the Air Force and the Plains Builder Boeing had realized that a recent modification which they put new fuel bladders on its wings could cause the wings to tear off. Tullock's plane was scheduled for a refit to resolve the problem, but it came too late. His plane was doomed, and he hit the bailout alarm. Now remember, 5,000 feet, he hit a bailout alarm. Of the eight airmen aboard the B-52, six sat in ejection seats. Adam Maddox, the third pilot, was assigned a regular jump seat in the cockpit. He was the youngest man on board. 27-year-old Maddox was also, at that time, an Air Force rarity. An African-American jet fighter pilot, 27 years old, reassigned to B-52 duty as an Operation Chrome Dome got into full swing. At this moment, it looked like that chance assignment would be his death warrant. Basically, Maddox was a dead man, the pilot said. His only chance was to somehow pull himself through a small cockpit window only after the other two pilots had ejected. But the pilot said Maddox was a very religious man. He told him afterwards that he just looked around and said, Well, God, if it's my time, so be it. But here it goes. And it was a surreal moment. The B-52's forward speed was nearly zero. But the plane had not yet started following. I can tell you as a pilot, a plane of that size that probably gets be, be, below 140 knots is going to fall like a rock. Maybe even has to go faster than that. Light airplanes at 70, 80 knots, they stall, they fall like a rock especially when you've lost a wing. It had not yet started falling. It was as if Maddox and the plane were for that moment suspended in midair. He seized on that moment to hurl himself into the abyss, leaping as far from the B-52 as he could. He pulled his parachute ripcord, but at first it didn't deploy. Maybe because his speed was so low, there wasn't enough air to go in the parachute. But as he began falling in earnest, the welcome sight of an air-filled canopy billied in the night sky above him. And Maddox prayed out and said, thank you, God. Then the plane exploded in midair, but the explosion collapsed his chute. Now he was just another piece of falling debris from the disintegrating B-52. Somehow a stream of air slipped into the fluttering chute and it reinflated. Maddox was once more floating toward earth and looking up at that gently bobbing chute. Maddox again whispered, thank you, God. But that wasn't it. Then he looked down and he was heading straight into the burning wreckage of the B-52. Well, Lord, he said out loud, if this is the way it's going to end, then so be it. But then a gust of wind came. The scientists said it could have been an uplift from the fire. Scientists always have to try an explanation. And it nudged him to the south. And he landed unhurt, away from the main crash site. One more time, Maddox said, thank you, God. 
And then he went to the nearby farmhouse and talked them into giving him a ride to the Air Force base. (laughs) Listen to this. Standing at the front gate in a tattered flight suit. How many of you have ever put on a flight suit? Yeah, you know what they are. You put on your stuff, right? I mean, you see someone in a flight suit, especially in 1961, they just didn't happen to get a flight suit. Still holding his bundled parachute in his arms, Maddox told the guards he had just bailed from a crashing B-52. Faced with a disheveled African-American man cradling a parachute and telling a cockamamie story like that, the sentries did. But we could only shake our head in a 1961 rural North Carolina area did. They arrested Maddox for stealing a parachute. I could laugh, but it's not funny. And he said again, thank you, God. I'm going to try to find this man. I hope he's alive. The story goes on, because you're probably going to wonder what happened to the bombs. But One of the bombs was stuck in a tree, and it was still intact. Its parachute opened, and it was hanging from the tree, and just the tip of it was barely dug into the ground. Right up there, the man pointed, and that's where they also found the dead man hanging from his parachute in the morning, the one that died, the one that didn't eject. They came and they checked the bomb and it had gone through what it was programmed to do for once it's released that it fills the air of the parachute, it begins to settle and ready itself to detonate. And the way it reads it, there was five or six sequences. It got to three or four and it stopped and it should have detonated because that's what it was designed to do. The other bomb made its way all the way into the ground and got buried in. But somehow, interesting enough, the thermonuclear part of it was found scattered on the ground over to the side as if somebody took it out before it hit the ground. Many miracles in that story, aren't there? Many miracles in that story. In one way, it encourages us. Don't ever give up. Maddox could have said, how many of you have ever seen the small window that sits next to the pilot in an airplane? Whether it's been a C-19, 119, my father flew C-119s or C-130s that are out there now, or especially little jet airplanes. They're very small. Most of us men wouldn't fit through it. A, fl- a, fl- a plane that loses a wing, forget about it. The pilots are gone, everybody's out of there. And remember, when it's an ejection seat, it blows off the top of the plane. But yet in his mind, God stopped the plane from going forward, kept it upright from going down. He pushed himself out, and when it should have been over, his parachute went open. And all he said was, thanks, God. 
in his spirit, he was ready for whatever the Lord would do because he knew he couldn't lose. Not even in death do we lose for those of us who know the Lord. Bless our beloved Sherry who's with the Lord right now. Bless her, Brian. She couldn't lose. And such faith she had. She declared it. I heard it with my own ears. If I go, I go. Because I know where I'm going. And I'm ready. So Maddox, the chute doesn't open. Then the chute opens. Then it closes again. Then it opens again. And he's headed right into the inferno. And God blows him. Someone that should have been heralded as a hero shows up with his, with his parachute, all tattered, and gets arrested because of profiling and racial injustice. All of that's real, beloved. We shouldn't make light of it because some bad apples get involved with it. It's real. God moved in mighty ways that day, and I believe the reason why the Lord resurrected this story exactly 60 years to the day is to encourage you that no matter what you think is going on has happened, God's got it, if you let Him have it. More of God, less of us. He's got it. He'll do whatever it takes to land you gently. But remember this too. The enemy of your soul, of your life, he's not fair. Just because God's got you and he's going to land you gently doesn't mean that the one who's like a roaring lion, the accuser of the brethren, the devil, the murderer, the deceiver, is going to quit. As we're going to learn with David and the Philistines, they plotted to come at him from many directions. Not just one, because they were afraid the Lord could take care of one, but maybe not all of them. That's when we need to trust God the most, is when we're landing softly. Because we could find ourselves right back into the furnace again. If we simply don't say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I could go on, I'm not going to. I think the point's been made for today. We have so much to pursue and to pray about and to get settled in our hearts and our spirits. We need to be those who don't allow other voices, other agendas, political alliances, prejudices, Either way, right, left, moderate, extreme, right, extreme, right. I wish I never heard those words. We need to be those who don't allow that noise to get into our hearts and our spirits. And we need to say, Lord, just like that bold lieutenant did, 27 years old. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Expecting that the more God uses you, the more is going to be asked of you to be able to fight and hold on. Beloved, 
No matter who's hurt you, no matter what your situation is, no matter what the problem is, that is not your enemy. <laughs> Flesh and blood is not what we fight against. But those powers and spirits and demons, they're real. They're real. And don't expect everything to be easy from the moment that you have a victory. Enjoy it for a short period of time. But don't put your guard down. Keep your shield up. For the enemy wants to devour you. And we are those who overcome by the blood of the Lamb and this word of our testimony. He who is within us, he's greater than he was in the world. Amen. Father, thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord. You can put the lights up, please. We thank you, Lord, that you've ministered to us in mighty ways here this morning. Let us go home with a peace in our spirits and a new resilience and a commitment to just allow you to deal with us, to have your way with us, to let your grace not only be sufficient for us, but Lord, to let your grace ooze out of us in every situation. Let us not be proud to say those three words, I'm sorry. Let us not be proud to say, Lord, do a good work in me, I need it. Let us not be slow to give love against evil. Help us, God, we sure need your help to overcome all of the issues, all of the news, all of the noise, all of the problems. But this we say, Father, and we thank you for it, even as written in Romans 8.1. Therefore, we are more than conquerors because of who you are. We win. We win. We land softly. We'll land again softly. We'll land again softly. And we'll land again softly in Christ Jesus. Amen.